So you know, it was about two weeks ago that I received some really uh, devastating news. And I shared this with the session already because I asked them to help and to join in prayer because a friend of mine was diagnosed with basically terminal cancer. And you know, cancer is never good news. But this time around, it hit me particularly hard because this brother is a brother in our presbytery. It's a pastor who pastors at a local church not too far from here. And this brother, he is a guy when he, uh, I was transferring into the PCA, he was getting ordained. And so I got to witness him like kick butt on the examination floor. People would ask him questions and he would answer so eloquently, so, with so much clarity. And this was a brother that on presbytery retreats I would play basketball with. We would come back home, we would go to eat at El Amon together, we would text each other about life and about ministry and about the difficulties. And then bam, all of a sudden, the script on his life gets flipped in a moment. He goes to the hospital because he has major stomach pains, thinking it's food poisoning or whatever, only to be told that it's because of cancer. And it's so aggressive, it started in his lungs, then made its way to his stomach. It's in his bones and has traveled up to his brain. So aggressive. And when Chris, Paul, and I visited him at the hospital, you know, I couldn't help but just cry out. Even as a pastor, I, I didn't have any words for him, but just to say, why, God, why? Why this guy, he's only in his mid-30s with three young kids. Why this guy who is so smart, so gifted, who has committed his life to serving your kingdom and to be a pastor? Why? And so all we did that day, Chris and I, and he was even like, Chris, why are you so quiet, man? You know? Because it was so intense. And all we could do was listen. All we can do is pray. And all we can do is weep. And we wept together. And it wasn't until the very next day when I was actually reading our passage this morning and I was praying for my brother that I found much encouragement. And as crazy as the situation is, we can find comfort in any crazy situation if we would only remember who we are, that we are God's church. And that's exactly what I texted my brother. Because, you know, when we are studying the book of Ephesians, I think whenever we study any book, it it's, gets hard because we can get lost in it. But what Ephesians is basically about, what Paul is talking about is his church. Chapter 1 is about God's sovereign plan for the church. And chapter 2 is about God's church from our perspective, talking about our past, about our barriers, about us coming together. But the question is how? How can we have peace and hope if you're a student here, perhaps you're a student here, and things aren't going too well, right? How can we have hope and peace if we're unemployed and we're hurting financially? How can we have hope and peace when we feel sick, when we have people dying around us? And what Paul tells the Ephesians is when uncontrollable things happen in life, 
You know what's going to keep us grounded, what's going to give us perspective, is again who we are, knowing who we are as God's precious church. And so this morning, by looking at our text closely, I want us to look at what it means to be God's church. And there's three images that Paul provides to give us an awesome understanding of what it means to be a part of God's church. One, he gives us the image of a nation. Second, he gives this image of a family. And last, he gives this image of a temple to teach us what exactly it means to be a part of his church. And if we understand this, it will give us a tremendous amount of hope and peace no matter what circumstances are around us. And so the first thing, to learn what it means to be a part of God's church, the passage begins by telling us we are citizens of God's nation. And this is important for us to understand because I think most of us here in this room are American citizens. Most of us, right? And we probably grew up not appreciating what it means to be a citizen. If you're a student, I didn't know this uh, because I guess everything came more natural as a citizen, but it's a huge financial benefit if you're an American citizen as a student. There's only certain scholarships, certain grants, certain in-state tuition that's only available for citizens, right? Once you finish school and you're an adult, if you're 18 at least, and you want to vote or even run for office or any actually federal job, you need to be an American citizen. And if you want to go and travel the world, there are only benefits for citizens like being able to travel for long periods of time without worrying like, oh my gosh, if I, I can't be, they're not going to let me back in if I stay out too long. Or when you get in trouble when you're in a foreign country, if you get in trouble, You'll always be supported and protected by the U.S. Embassy and the U.S. government. And I never really uh, understood or felt this uh, type of protection. And the first time I, I got a taste of it was that when I was younger and I watched this one movie. I don't know if you ever saw this movie, but Tears of the Sun with Bruce Willis. And if you've never watched it, it's basically a fictional movie about this violent civil war that breaks out in Nigeria. And during, due to all the safety issues, because of the Civil War, all the foreign nationals, they're evacuating, right? And then America finds out, oh my gosh, there's one American doctor out in the jungles running this mission hospital. We need to go and save her. And so they risk eight of the elite, the best Navy SEALs to go rescue her. Long story short, half of them are killed. Half of them are badly wounded just to save this one American doctor. And I know it might sound cruel, but, you know, initially I always thought, wouldn't it make more sense? Wouldn't it be more practical just to let that one citizen go to save eight other people? But that's not how good governments work. Good, healthy, loving governments, they will fight for you. They will give to you and they will protect every citizen to the best of their ability. In the same way, to, under, to understand our passage, if you go back to verse 11 and 12, Paul tells us, remember, before Christ, 
You are outsiders. You are alienated from God's people. But starting in verse 19, he tells us, In Christ, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Fellow citizens. And friends, make no mistake, when Paul throws this term, this image out there, that we are citizens of heaven, he does not take it lightly. He knows what that means. Because if you remember when Paul, remember when we studied Acts and Paul was on trial at the end of his life? And they're questioning him, and they're about to whip him, and they're about to beat him. And he says, guess what, guys? I'm a Roman citizen. And right when he says that, everything comes to a halt. Because they know the protection and the power that Rome has. In the same way, this is important for us to understand that we are the citizens of heaven. If you're a part of God's church, we are the citizens of heaven. And this is important because when life gets scary, friends, when we try our best in school and it doesn't seem enough, right? When we work so hard and yet we find ourselves jobless. Or maybe we eat healthy and we exercise, but all of a sudden we're sick and we have cancer. What's going to give us a source of peace? What's going to rescue us from our fears? Will it be our diplomas? Will it be finding a new job? Will it be going to the best and the most renowned doctor? Will that rescue our fears? No, what Paul tells us, it's knowing that our God reigns. He is the king of the world, and we are his citizens. We have the king's protection. And anytime we need him, we actually even have access to this king, that we can go and pray to him anytime we want. And my goodness, brothers and sisters, if we would understand this, that we are like this American doctor who found herself in a foreign country and all of a sudden rescued, swooped up and rescued and brought home safely. This is the great promise that all of us hold in this room as people a part of his church. That we would have a sense of safety and comfort as the citizens of heaven. That scripture promises that we are protected and he will bring us home safely too. The second thing to learn about what it means to be a part of God's church is not only are we citizens of God's nation, but we are members of God's church. You know, growing up in an immigrant family, uh, there were times where I lived with various relatives. I had to live with uh, crazy uncles and aunts and cousins and uh, things like that. And so when I think about family, I don't think about just my immediate family, not my wife or my parents, but my whole family, my extended family. And I don't know what your family is like, but I'm going to tell you, my family is far from being perfect. In my family, we've had kids run away when they were younger. In my family, we had kids and students fail out of school. In my family, we have couples with marital issues, people who had divorces. And in my family, we had people with drinking issues drug issues, gambling issues. But I tell you, you know what's great about this time of year? In one, about one month from now, we're going to get together, and when we see each other, we're going to hug each other, and we're going to greet one another, 
We're going to eat turkey. We're going to eat mashed potato and green bean casserole and pumpkin pie. We're going to sing. We're going to eat. And we're going to be happy. And I remember a couple of years back when I started seminary, I would think to myself, this is a little bit weird. And this is weird because how can we do all this? Knowing what's going on, knowing what's going on in each other's lives, how can we pretend like there's nothing wrong and just celebrate? But the more I thought about it, I came to realize, you know what? In a sense, isn't this what family is all about? That no matter how far we live now, no matter how long it's been, no matter what we've done, no matter what regrets we have, no matter what people may say about us, that when we get together, we love each other, we accept each other, because this is our identity. We are family, right? In the same way, to understand what it means to be a part of God's church, there's more than just benefits of being a citizen of heaven, but Scripture is telling us we are members of God's family. And no matter what you feel, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, no matter how far you may feel from God, maybe you haven't come to church in like over a year, no matter how far you feel from him, no matter what you've done, no matter how you failed or how you even succeeded, Scripture tells us God's love never wavers. He will never love us less because we failed. And he will never love us more just because we succeeded. God's love is perfect because we are his family members. And this is important for us to understand because as comforting as it is, right, that we are citizens of heaven and we have the protection of God and we have the access to the throne room of God, how much greater is it that we have the intimacy of God? And not just the access into God's throne room, but the access to the Father's heart. And so I tell you, friends, no matter what fears we have, no matter what weaknesses we have, no matter what our failures are, we can find confidence because God's unfailing love. We may fail, but God's unfailing love for his sons and daughters. This is the encouragement that Paul's trying to give us here. The last thing I want to mention to understand what it means to be a part of God's church. We are not only citizens of God's nation, not only the family members of God, but what scripture tells us in the final verses is that we are the walls that make the temple of God. We are the temple of God. Scripture tells us, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, when, it talks, when Scripture talks about the temple, let me point out a few things. When you think about the Old Testament temple, and this is kind of like a, you know, they put together what it should have looked like by the measurements and you know, the description. But when you look at the temple, it's not just the building. It's not just a place of worship like, oh yeah, it's, that's just church, right? But the most significant thing about the temple 
during this time was that it represented the presence of God. That's where the Spirit of God resided. And that's why if you're familiar with the Old Testament, uh, uh, Old Testament and the descriptions that it gives, only certain people were allowed in the temple. And so there, over here is kind of like the outer court. Over here, if you're more special, you get to go to the inner court. Inside here is the holy of holies. Only the high priest gets to go in there. But even then, if you mess around, you go in there wearing like a belt jingling and like you can tell they're doing stuff like sacrificing blood and stuff like that. But the moment you disrespect God and his holiness, bam, you're going to be put to death. And so when you stop hearing any jingling and there's no more movement, you go in there with a the rope tied around your waist because they'll pull out your dead body. This is where the presence, the holy presence of God was. And so the amazing thing about what Paul's saying here is, we gloss over this reading, but when the first time readers read this, they must have been shocked that Paul is saying, no longer is this the temple of God, but now the temple of God is his people. And they must be like, oh my gosh, you're saying God is in me? But you know what the real key to understanding these verses that we often leave out is, it's together that we make the temple of God. Together we make the dwelling place of God. When you look in scripture, I think 99% of the time, whenever it talks about the church, it talks about us collectively. It never just says just you, but it's yous, like you in the plural. Second person plural. And this is important because if this is true, that collectively we are God's temple, this means we have a tremendous effect on one another. And to give you an example and to follow Paul's example that we are God's temple, again, if you look at this image, it's harder to see, but if you look carefully, everything, every structure is made out of bricks from the ground to the walls to the floor to the holy uh, temple of uh, the Holy of Holies, everything is made out of brick. Stack one on top of another, connected by mortar, right? And so if this is true, just like the bricks that are heavily dependent on one another, if you blast a hole in a brick wall, it's going to weaken the rest of the bricks. Likewise, Paul is telling us we need to be really dependent on each other. If it's true that we are all together make the church, we should be dependent on one another. And so if one of us is broken, if one of us is sick, one of us is hurt, all of us should feel hurt as a church too. Our problem is no matter how much scripture stresses this idea of unity and forgiveness, we just looked at it last week with Pastor Chris. Isn't it true that we are sold on the culture's idea of being an individual? We are told that we should be like this brick wall. But in reality, we're more like a pile of bricks. Somewhat touching each other, right, in the pile? But we're separate, free to do whatever we want. Because in that case, it's much more easier, isn't it? Much more comfortable, much more profitable. I'll hold on to my savings. I'll do what I need to do. You do what you need to do with your money. 
Friends, our passage tells us as a church we are built together. And so what that means is we need to share our struggles, we share our emotions, we share our difficulties, we even share our money and our homes. And I tell you, if we would only have the faith to believe what God is saying here in Scripture, believe and trust in God's Word, that all of us together make the temple of God, all of us together make God's church, that's when Grace Point will be able to experience the power of the Holy Spirit that's in, inside of us. The million-dollar question is, though, how? How true is it that in the midst of transitions, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of health issues, that any of this is true? How true is it that God will protect us? How true is it that God considers us as family? How true is it that we are the temple of God and God's spirit resides in us? How true is it? A lot of people in our lives tell lies, even family members. We've been burnt, haven't we? People who've promised things but abandoned us. And so how true is this? Is God just whispering sweet nothings into our ears, or is this really true? How can we know that this is true? And the way we can know is because of Jesus. You see, no matter how much anyone has, no matter how much anyone owns, you ask any loving parent, you ask them, what's the most precious thing in your life? Whether you're a single parent or not, what's the most precious thing that you own? And every loving parent will say, it's my child. And to give you an example, you might find this disgusting, but uh, I love McDonald's McRib sandwich. I know, it's kind of gross, but it tastes good, okay? And for some reason, it never made the permanent menu. And so when it, time to time, when it comes out, it's limited time only, I get so excited. I go there, and I, I get it, I ask my kids, what do you want? And then I get my own thing, and last time I got two sandwiches because I was so excited. And the thing I found out while I was eating, I was like, yes, I remember my childhood. This tastes so good. You know who else loves it too? My daughter. <laughs> and so when she asked for it, and she bit, take a uh, bite into it, and I was ready to devour these two sandwiches, and I, I guess I didn't eat fast enough next time I know. <laughs> She's like, can I, have, can I have some? Can I have this other one? And I thought about it. I was like, all right, fine. You know, even though you said you wanted chicken nuggets, I got you chicken nuggets, I'll give you my sandwich. <laughs> you know, who else loves food is my son, too. And the thing that we share a passion for is soup dumplings. And they're extra special to us because McDonald's, you can kind of go anytime. And I guess this is limited time only, but you know, soup dumplings is special because there's only one place that we really like it from. It's all the way in the city. It's all the way in Chinatown. And the last time we went, we went right before the Sixers game. We were like, oh, if we're going to go into Philly, might as well stop by Dim Sum Garden, right? 
So we stop by there with his friend, and we're eating these soup dumplings, and he gobbles it up so fast, and I'm like, how do you eat it? It's boiling hot. I wait till it cooled, but he gobbles it up. And she looks over and says, Tom, uh, not Tom. He says, Dad, can I have some of yours? And I'm going to tell you initially, I said, no. <laughs> you had yours. This is mine. I have to go park, in, park the car. And I just can't. I, let me eat my dumplings, all right? And I felt so bad that I had, at the end, I was like, fine. I took one or two and I gave him the rest. And I know it seems really petty fighting over food, right? But it, because if there was anything that my kids really needed, right? If they were put in any danger, any harm's way, there's nothing in this world I wouldn't trade for them. I would give them anything. I wouldn't trade anything else. Dumplings, McRib, whatever it is. No way. I choose my kids. Wouldn't any of you, right? And yet, if you look at scripture, God was willing to trade his child, his son. And what scripture tells us is, although Jesus was not only a citizen, he was the king of heaven and earth. He was not just any member. He was the one and only son of God. And yet, the gospel tells us, for us to be citizens, God traded in the king of the world. For us to be members in the family of God, God traded his son in order that we can be his new temple, we can be his new church. And I tell you guys, if we would just look at that cross and we would just get that fact, right? That God was willing to sacrifice his one and only precious son. What in the world does that tell us about our value? how dear we are to God and how much he loves us. And if we would only get that, how confident will we be about God's truth that he's going to protect us and he loves us with this incredible love of a father because we are his family. Surely that is true if we would only stare at that cross. And so friends, if you're a believer here this morning, if you believe you are a citizen of heaven, a member of God's church, a, a part of the wall that makes the temple of God, if you believe this, my goodness, what an encouragement that this scripture provides for us. That whatever struggles we are going through, whether it's, whether it's financial or our health, what hope that we have being a part of God's church and all the benefits that come with it. But, you know, it's not only encouragement. If you're a Christian here, this must be tough for us to read. It's a huge challenge. Because if it's true that all of us make the temple of God, all of us, every single member makes the church, we can't have that attitude that says, well, I don't like this person, so I'm just going to avoid him or her at church. Tim Keller once said, everybody wants community, everybody wants friendship, but you mention accountability, you mention commitment, and everyone will run the other way. If everyone makes the church, this means we need to constantly meet up with each other. 
constantly keep each other accountable, constantly encourage each other. And when one of us are missing in this church, when someone's missing, we should be calling them and asking them, why haven't you been coming? Are you okay? Because if everyone makes the church, everyone affects our personal growth, and everyone affects the corporate life of Grace Point Church. If one of us hurts, the whole church hurts. That's the challenge. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you might not be, f- be too familiar with the Bible, but I'm sure you've heard of the story of the three little pigs. And the story goes with the three little pigs. They have different houses built of straw, of stick, and of brick. And sadly, if you think about it, it's kind of a crazy story that these wolves come and they eat up these pigs, right? that's made in these houses of straw and stick, but only one survived. The one that made, out of, that made their house out of bricks. 2,000, almost, I would say, almost 2,000 years before this, this story came out of the three little pigs, Jesus told the parable of the wise and foolish builder. The foolish builder built his house on sand, and so when wind and rain came, the house went tumbling down. But the wise builder built it on the rock, the rock of Jesus. So when storms came, the house prevailed. In our passage, it tells us all of Christian identity, all of the church's identity is built on Jesus Christ. He's our cornerstone. He's the reason why we can truly have hope and comfort. If you're not a believer here, the question is, if your house is not built on Jesus, what is it built on? And I'm telling you, if it's not Jesus, there's no way it can provide you a sense of security. It can, there's no way it will wipe out all the fears in your heart. And so if you're not a Christian, would you turn to Jesus? Would you come to him? Because to our Father, you know what? Every day is like Thanksgiving for him. And there's another story in the Bible where he's like a father that is looking out, waiting for his sons and daughters to come back home, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, and no matter what your history is. He's there to hug us, to greet us, to